Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we review the inaugural CAF African Schools Football Championship Finals with winners coming from Guinea and Tanzania. And we have the second part of our interview with Frank Simon, a French sports journalist who's regarded as a great authority in African football, talking about his travels and his concerns. Very few clubs, maybe one, two, three clubs per country are... I reach, reach enough to, to reach a certain level. That's coming later, plus Stuart on the English Premier League title race and the UEFA Champions League. Lots to talk about on the show as always this week. And we start with the inaugural CAF African Schools Football Championship Continental Finals, which ended last weekend in Durban in South Africa. Now, the four-day event had boys' and girls' tournaments. The boys' champions are C.S. Ben Sekou Silla from Guinea, and the girls' winners were Fountain Gate School of Tanzania. Tell us more, Ida. Well, Steve, I want to focus on the winners here because in as much as it's a school championship, the schools are representing their countries. And in that way, to see Tanzania, you know, beat Morocco in the girls or Guinea beat South Africa in the boys, this isn't something that we see too often. It's not something that we see every day in continental football. And I was particularly taken by Fountain Girls of Tanzania because their way of doing things simply stands out. And it sadly isn't something that's too common in that region. I mean, website with regular updates of talent development, a big emphasis on sports to complement academics in a continent, frankly, that often focuses on the latter while foregoing the former. They have players in the under-20 national team, Steve. They have a separate entity known as Fountain Girls Sports with its own CEO. Look, this is impressive. And you can see in this way as well that it's not luck that won them this. It was preparation. So it's fantastic, Steve, to see sub-Saharan Africa taking women's sports so seriously. And you see the young kids also getting that experience, you know, where it does become familiar to represent your country and it does become familiar to play at a top level at a young age. And hopefully, you know, this can develop further through levels of age grade football in those specific countries. Because as we often say in Africa, talent really does get lost along the way. Steve, CAF reported fun numbers of up to 6,000. That was at the Sugar Ray Zulu Stadium in Durban. And if that indeed is the case, then that's quite a turnout, if you ask me, for a junior championship. The winner took home 300,000 US dollars, runners up 200,000 and bronze 150,000. Now, this is a lot of money, Steve, especially when broken down into local context. $300,000 might not seem like much when we talk about the bigger scale of football, but that's over 700 million Tanzanian shillings. So I do hope that CAF has developed checks and balances to make sure that this money will be used in the right ways. 
And Steve, this program ran on two other levels before it got to the continental stage. I mean, there was the national level that ran through to July last year. And after that, there were six zonal levels that ran till December. And even the zonal winners, Steve, each got a 100,000 all the way to third in the zones that got 50,000 each. And, you know, people often talk about the need for development of age-grade football in the continent. And yes, while we can't have more regional tournaments for the junior national teams, this is another way to look at it, a school's perspective, you know, that can hopefully dig even deeper by actually benefiting institutions instead of what would be a select few members of, say, a national junior team. I mean, this is taking it right to the grassroots level, Steve. Schools are supposed to use this prize money for development of sports infrastructure, amongst other things. Look, all in all, I think it was a fantastic effort from CAF. I know this is still very early days, but, you know, it would be good to see some success stories, say, a decade from now. You know, a player who took part in these school's championships and going on to shine continentally and perhaps even internationally. Yes, that would be great indeed. Uh, thanks, Ida. Do stay with us. And next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to part two of our interview with Frank Simon, a French sports journalist who's regarded as a great authority in African football. Now, Frank worked for France Football Magazine for many years, and he's been covering African football for more than 30 years now as a reporter and commentator, and he's traveled all over the continent. He's known for his in-depth research and statistics on the African game. I met up with Frank when we were together at the African Nations Championship, the CHAN, in Algeria earlier this year. He was on the French-language commentary team. I was in the English-language commentary team. Well, I asked Frank about some of his first trips in the early 1990s. That's true. You mentioned the very first country I went to. Uh, South Africa uh, went, uh, I went there in autumn 1992 when South Africa was back uh, in FIFA and CAF. Uh, I was, I had a good friend that we all know, Mark Gleason is a big, big name uh, for African football. He's a, he's a legend for all of us, for all the sports writers. And so Mark told me, you know, Frank, just come to, to South Africa, come to Josie's and then uh, we'll be together and can help you. And it started like that. So uh, South Africa, I went to, to Zimbabwe as well. Uh, when uh, Reinhard Fabish was uh, was the coach, uh, I met with uh, Bruce Robla and Peter Ndlovu, all these guys. I uh, went to um, Eswatini, that, that time was Swaziland. Uh, and then it was West Africa, West Africa, West Africa, North Africa. I went to more than 35, 36 countries in Africa now. Uh, I went to Sudan after that. I went to Angola. I went to, to Tanzania. East Africa, I've done a lot because my ex-wife comes from East Africa. So I was touring East Africa, Uganda as well. I'm married now to an Ivorian lady. So, um, I do a lot on the other side, on the west side. And we have, uh, we have on the west coast uh, the, the next Afcon coming to, to Cote d'Ivoire. So you can imagine I've been traveling never as a tourist, always as a, as a journalist. And, um, I want to help also. Uh, African football develop uh, locally. If I can, I will. I will help. Yeah. Are there things that uh, make you sad about African football when you talk about development and living in France, where European football is very advanced? Are there things that uh, make you sad? 
very sad is the the fact that you you have uh, soccer fields in Paris in the suburbs where you find plenty of of players guys who are who don't have papers uh, who cross the, the the ocean or the, the the Mediterranean Sea and they they are here they want to to find a club so they train uh, they, they still have this hope, but it's so complicated. Maybe one of them will be lucky to get a contract somewhere, maybe in third division in, in another country, in second division in Cyprus or, or in Norway, whatever. It's, it's really complicated. And also the fact that the dream is still alive for most of the African players to get a contract, uh, in Europe. And, uh, they, they take, uh, too much risk, uh, trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea and it's a, it's a disaster. Uh, they, most of the time what they'll meet is death uh, with other people and this is what makes me sad. You can still make a living if you, if you believe in yourself on the continent. Uh, you can uh, move from, uh, uh, from, uh, let's say from Cote d'Ivoire and get a contract in, uh, in Morocco or Algeria. You can live as a football player in another country but in, on, in Africa. If you're good enough, if you're lucky, you can have this connection to Europe or to the, the, the Gulf states, but uh, don't take uh, a crazy risk of just crossing the, the sea. It's too dangerous. And yeah, this is what makes me sad. Also, what makes me sad that in Africa, the fact that the clubs for me, I think they become more and more poorer. There is money in African football, you know, but uh, when you look at the situation, uh, the way they are managed is not the proper way. Very few clubs, maybe one, two, three clubs per country are, are rich, rich enough to, to reach a certain level. But for most of the, most of the clubs, when there's one chairman, one official, if he's not serious, then you know that in the, within six months, the club will just collapse, the player won't be paid, and the situation will be complicated. I have this example with one of my best friend. He's a French coach, he's now in Cameroon, with Canon Yaoundé. He's, he has not been paid. The players have not been paid. And it's a big name. They have won the, the Champions League so many times, Canon Yaoundé. But now it's like an empty shell. There's nothing. Officials are not good. They are not good. They are not good officials. They don't know how to, to, to handle a club. And uh, this is, this is a very uh, sad situation. You, football, African football needs good officials to develop, to develop also the grassroots football. Too much to do and too little time, too little money, um, let's say, given to the good person. So, yeah, plenty of work to do. Right. Um, let's talk about the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, there have been amazing editions. Um, tell us about one or two of the most memorable AFCONs that you've been to. Uh, 1996 in South Africa, because that was the very first competition organized by South Africa. And uh, it was fantastic for me to come back to South Africa, because I've been based in South Africa some years before, and uh, to see how they developed and the passion... It was a fantastic edition. They did very well. Bafana Bafana won it, uh, like few months after the rugby team won the World Cup in South Africa. You've told us about famous players. Tell us about some of the coaches that you have got to know well over the years in African football, because there are many, many characters, oh, yeah. <laughs> amazing characters oh, yeah. in uh, African football coaching. Okay, Claude Leroy, the French coach, uh, was with Cameroon, with many countries, he finished his career as a coach of Togo. A very brilliant, brilliant, very intelligent person. Uh, he won AFCON in 1988. Didn't win it after that, but still had a lot of prestige and, and he used it and he had many, many opportunities and contracts. He loves, he deeply loves Africa, but, uh, 
Uh, I know people now consider he's too old to handle a national team, but he's so, such an interesting person. He's a good man. So Claude Leroy, um, the German uh, Gernot Rohr also is a, for me, is a good person. Former coach of Nigeria, um, uh, Hervé Renard. Hervé Renard is such a, a lovely person. I, I know, I knew him before he won the Afghan. He won twice with two different countries. With Saudi Arabia, if you remember well, he's the only one to have beaten uh, Argentina the World Cup in uh, in Qatar could tell you about the late Stefan Keshi who was such a wonderful man and, and great player uh, it's always nice when uh, a great player turns into a good coach and a good uh, motivator someone like a Walid Regragi who has taken Morocco to the fourth place of the last World Cup he was he was a friend of mine who were well, from from the same generation and uh, when he was a player we were very close and a few months ago, became the coach of Morocco. And I was lucky to, to to be with the team when they prepared in Spain and then in Emirates. And I was so happy that he, he brought the, this team to that level. The first team ever in Africa to reach the semifinals. He did it. He's a good coach. Uh, a few months before, he, he had won the Champions League with Widad. And uh, this is fantastic. And what is good now is that we have a new generation. I think... In the coming years, we won't talk that much about the Europea European uh, coaches in Africa. We'll talk about the new generation of coaches uh, who are who are born in Africa and they, they do a good work in Africa, which is very positive because they know the country, they know the, the, the culture, they know everything. They have played for the national team, so they they deserve to 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 be coaches in their for their their their, their countries. I was talking there to Frank Simon, a French sports journalist who's travelled all around the continent covering African football, talking there about Hervé Renard, who he knows very well. And Renard's interesting journey continues uh, from Saudi Arabia at the Men's World Cup. He's now taking France to the Women's World Cup finals, Ida. Right, Steve, and on to a perfect start. Le Bleu just won their friendly in preparation of the Women's World Cup. Now, this is a man who clearly wants to experience as much as he can pack in. From Europe to Africa to the Middle East, all in the men's game, and now onto women's football and at the grandest stage of all. But Steve, Africa is what really made him the coach he is today. Of that, there's no doubt. Became the first coach to win the Afghan with two different countries, Zambia in 2012, the Ivory Coast in 2015. And then in 2017, he then oversaw Morocco's first World Cup qualification in two decades. And then they were able to build on that last year to give the performance of a lifetime. Of course, Renard was not the coach then, but still laid the basis. And his ability to adjust to whatever situation is seen again in his post-playing days. Steve, when he retired as a player, he's said to have worked as a cleaner, trying to make ends meet, and got so good at it that he even set up his own cleaning company. <laughs> Talk about a jack-of-all-trades. <laughs> well, I must say, I didn't know that about uh, the great French coach, Hervé Renard. Well, thanks a lot to Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League title race. Will those drop points for Arsenal prove costly? 
You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, should clubs only be allowed to change the coach once a season? Now, with 12 managers fired already in the English Premier League this season, football analyst Tony Cascarino suggested that clubs should only be allowed to appoint a new manager once per season. This because Chelsea and Southampton have fired their manager twice this season, so they're on to their third boss of the season. So we asked, what do you think? And we start in England, and Mark Reed says, I think they should only be changed out of season. That would make things more interesting. Kenny Ude Ozor in Nigeria says it's a good idea. It's becoming too ridiculous at Chelsea. Uh, John Harmon says there should be a minimum of one year before teams can sack their manager. But David Sakala in Zambia says such restrictions are not practical. You can't wait to be relegated to take action. Coaching is a performance-based job, says David. Uh, Chris in Rwanda says clubs have the right to sack who they want and whenever. And Jason Med in Malaysia says you can't blame the club if managers tried their luck on getting a big payday. So clubs can change managers as they please. Maklek Yaksat in Nigeria says if they're not up to standard, they should be fired more than 10 times because investors depend on performance to thrive. In the absence of it, getting the sack is inevitable, says Maklek. Belong Badgie in the Gambia says I don't have a problem with changing coaches even in the same year as they are judged by results and to avoid that it's a must for them to provide a well-structured team which will be able to produce good results and to avoid blaming players for any losses. On the other hand, Usman Sisse says sometimes it's not the fault of the coach, but it is the player's fault. They can be underperforming. And Laurie Morse in England says it's not always the manager's fault. Players are paid way too much money, even for bad performances, so they should be paid by performances, says Laurie. Uh, Vicky Lockie went further into the Chelsea issue, saying I think Chelsea should sell all of their players and start afresh. And on a somewhat humorous note, David Obonye says, I think there should be a manager's or coach's transfer window every four months. And uh, finally, Sideko Suno in the Gambia uh, got in touch saying, I think the teams in the Premier League should be ready to give more of a chance to coaches for them to be successful. Uh, for example, Chelsea fired Thomas Tuchel based on no tangible reasons. Sometimes the players are the main reason why some of these coaches lose their jobs because they simply don't like the playing style of the coach, says Sideko. Well, thanks so much to everybody who got in touch. Always great to hear from you here on Planet Sport Football Africa, a show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Let's go to the English Premier League now and to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. Uh, so this weekend, Manchester City playing Leicester, Arsenal away to West Ham, Arsenal leading City by six points now. Uh, so Stuart, what's the implications of last week's draw for Arsenal with Liverpool? Well, Steve, we said last week that Arsenal go to Liverpool with the games the weekend, and it certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, and that, yeah, uh, Arsenal going into that game with an eight-point lead and suddenly cut to six, and remembering that City have a game in hand and that Arsenal have to go to City 
Hmm, it's very tight. Now, Arsenal began at Liverpool as if they really meant business. A goal up in eight minutes, two up after half an hour. But then, dramatically, they lost control of the game to Liverpool. Most of last scored before half-time, and then Firmino equalised just before the end. But there was still time for Salah to bring a great save from Ramsdale right at the end. So actually, Liverpool could have won the game. And, horror of horrors, Mo Salah missed a penalty. And for the second time in succession, he put it wide. Against Bournemouth, remember, he shot high and wide. Against Arsenal, he went for the bottom corner and missed. So... Yes, Arsenal are still top of the league and six points clear, but it looks an awful lot more open than it did last week. And, Steve, there was an extraordinary incident in that game when Andrew Robertson of Liverpool went to speak to one of the assistant referees and the official appeared to strike Robertson with his elbow. We understand that the PDMOL, which controls referees, is investigating the incident and that uh, the uh, official concern has been stood down. And with Tottenham, Manchester United and Newcastle all winning, the battle for the other two Champions League places is as tight as ever. Poor old Brighton lost 2-1 to Tottenham. But after the game, the Premier League admitted that Brighton should have had a penalty. And to make it worse, this is the third time this season that the Premier League has had to admit to Brighton that the officials got it wrong, made a serious error which is costing Brighton points. At the bottom of the table, wins for West Ham, Wolves and Bournemouth helped their cause, leaving Nottingham Forest, Leicester and Southampton in the relegation places. Wolves beat Chelsea 1-0, so no fairy tale return to Chelsea for Frank Lampard. Chelsea had only one shot on target in the whole game. I mean, how, Steve, how can you spend $600 million on players and only manage one shot on goal. Brentford lost 2-1 to Newcastle United with Ivan Toney scoring a penalty but missing another, bringing to an end his run of 24 successful penalties scored before that one. Watching live football in the Premier League is as popular as ever, with an average attendance of over 40,000 per game this season. Manchester United has the highest average and also the highest capacity stadium, 73,800 on average. West Ham, Tottenham and Arsenal, three London clubs, all averaging more than 60,000 a game, while Liverpool, Manchester City and Newcastle all average more than 50,000. I mentioned last week, Steve, that Forrest had stated that they were sticking with manager Steve Cooper. And you will recall that in October... The owners said the same thing and fired the head of recruitment and the chief scout. Well, six months later, and Filippo Giraldi, the sporting director appointed to replace those two who were fired in October, well, he's gone. So again, the owner is blaming bad recruitment and not blaming the manager. It's really interesting how Nottingham Forest have uh, kept so much uh, faith uh, in the manager, Steve Cooper. Uh, Now then, what about the UEFA Champions League, Stuart? Manchester City against Bayern Munich. Uh, What a game that was. Well, Steve, one of the things I love about the Champions League is the way it puts the best team in the Premier League against the best team from 
another top European country. So when Manchester City, reigning Premier League champions, and without question the club with the strongest squad in the Premier League, were drawn at home to Bayern Munich, the dominant German club, I just couldn't wait. And if you look at the statistics, possession, passes, opportunities, there was not a lot between the two clubs in the first leg at Manchester this week. But if you want a ruthless ability to turn possession into goals, it was a one-sided game. Manchester City simply took their chances and scored three goals. Never say never, but I can't see Manchester City conceding four goals in Germany in the second leg. And you know, Pep Guardiola is a manager who makes brave decisions. In my opinion, Riyad Mahrez has been outstanding for Manchester City this season, but he was left on the bench an unused substitute against Bayern, with Grealish and Bernardo Silva prepared. And how can you blame or criticise Guardiola when he beats one of the best teams in Europe 3-0? Incidentally, Sergio Mane was also on the bench, only getting 22 minutes for Bayern. And that really was when the game was already lost. And afterwards, Manny was involved in a strange incident where allegedly he and Leroy Sané had an argument which resulted in Manny punching Sané and being banned from the next game. And it seemed to be about a situation where Manny felt he was in a better position and that Sané should have passed to him. Chelsea lost 2-0 to holders Real Madrid, playing the last half hour with 10 men after Ben Chilwell was sent off. Now, Real Madrid's top striker, Benzema, had a quiet game, not seeing much of the ball, but he was on hand to tap in when Kepa couldn't hold a long shot. But isn't that what great strikers do? They can be anonymous, but they're there when it matters. And incredibly, that was his 20th goal against English clubs in the Champions League. Inter Milan took a huge step towards the semi-finals with a 2-0 win over Benfica in Portugal. Romelu Lukaku scored and Andre Onana kept a clean sheet. And AC Milan kept the dream of a Milan semi-final alive by beating Napoli 1-0 in the first leg, with Ismail Benasser from Algeria scoring the only goal. But I'm afraid that Napoli's Cameroonian Andre Frank Zambo Anguissa, he was shown a red card. Yes, for a reckless challenge there by Anguissa. And Victor Osimen, the Nigerian, missed that game for Napoli due to injury. And now going back to the Sadio Mane incident, asking on social media this week, what do you think about what happened there? As a Senegal star, Sadio Mane has been suspended for Bayern Munich's game this Saturday after allegedly punching teammate Leroy Sané after that loss to Man City. Uh, So what do you think about what happened uh, with Mane being a role model to many in Africa? football. Should he have been fired, suspended, fined or forgiven? What do you make of this incident? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think about the Sajo Mane incident? And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Well, Burnley, relegated last season, have been promoted straight away to the Premier League under the managership of Vincent Company. 
Anas Zaruri, a Belgian-born Moroccan, and Samuel Bastian from DR Congo are in their squad. But brilliant performance by Burnley, but of course they've got two challenges now. Can they survive in the Premier League next season? And can they hold on to Vincent Company, who looks a very attractive manager for teams looking for one? And uh, I couldn't go through a week without talking about managers. And Leicester City have appointed Dean Smith as manager until the end of the season. Smith, you will recall, was fired by Aston Villa in 2022 after three seasons, then had a season in a bit at Norwich City, fired again, and Leicester, second from bottom, go to Manchester City on Saturday. That's a difficult place to start. Steve, I thought you need to know that the Chelmsford Chieftains were recently beaten in the final of Ice Hockey's Southern Division. The reason I'm mentioning that is that the Chieftains' goalminder is Peter Cech. When Cech pulled down the curtain on his football career, which included four Premier League titles, five FA Cups with Chelsea, not to mention 124 international caps for the Czech Republic, he went back to ice hockey, a game he had played as a teenager, but had to give up uh, in favour of football. Cech is now 40, he trains twice a week, and observers say he's lost none of the old competitive spirit. Uh, amazing. So Peter Cech uh, uh, playing ice hockey. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare and from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.